Greetings, everybody out there in dreamland. Namaste and shalom. Iron sharpens iron and a friend sharpens a friend. You are listening to the Beyond Top Secret Texan. I am the Beyond Top Secret Texan. Broadcasting to you from the coast with the most, the Gulf Coast, the third coast of Texas. The darkest truths from the darkest web need to be told. And you must listen to the Beyond Top Secret Texan. Supposedly, copies of older Sumerian texts tell of the Anunnaki and seven kings as having lived and ruled prior to the deluge. They also reveal that these Anunnaki antedate the antediluvian world and even humanity, their existence having been archaic long before mankind was created. They were originally a part of <clears throat> another society that served the Godhead, but they rebelled in what we would consider pre-Adamic times. The seven were, were from ancient heaven and were cast down from their positions in a devastating war that destroyed our solar system, scarred the moon, and pushed Earth away from the sun to freeze until its return to its present orbit centuries later. They made war against Enlil, the chief of old time, and were condemned by Enlil to enjoy their kingship over, her, over humanity, prophesied back in early heaven, for a period not to exceed 50 shars, or... 6,000 years, 50 times 120. 120, 120 years was a great char. Earth became the center of conflict between the Godhead and the rebellious Anunnaki before mankind was even created. Sumerian, Akkadian, and Babylonian stone tablets and stellar inscriptions describe the Anunnaki as having literally fell down from heaven. One tablet reads, Those seven, the evil gods, who swoop like the deluge, swoop upon the world like a storm. They are the seven serpents of death, no doubt all connected to the eighth, or the dragon. They are also constantly referred to as those who observe and see, or Igigi, better known as the Watchers. And in the Secrets of Enoch text, the Watchers are called the Many-Eyed Ones. Indra, in the ancient Vedic Indian epics, wore a robe covered in many eyes, fulfilling the office of Watcher. And incidentally, in the Rig Veda, he is called the Seven Slayer. Watchers have long been connected to the serpent motif, and those having read my book Lost Scriptures of Giza will know that the oldest root words in several archaic languages for serpent, snake, and dragon were syllables all connected to seeing, observing, and discerning. Enoch was commanded to testify against the Watchers, those that sinned with the daughters of men, for they had commenced to mix with the daughters of the earth, so that they were defiled, and Enoch testified against them all. The Babylonian historiographers and scribes were convinced that the seven kings came from the heavens, and they were designated these beings as the children of Anu, who rebelled, which is understandable because the older Sumerian writings tell that the Anunnaki were the sons of Enlil, or Lord Wind. 
to advance this position is the fact that the Hebraic text of Jubilees, the Genesis 6 passage, and several extra-canonical works convey that the sons of God took or abducted forcibly the daughters of men, fathering a race of gigantic people. The Anunnaki, called Nephilim, or the Fallen Ones, in scripture descended upon the earth and created a counterfeit theology involving many sons of God rather than just one who was foretold in the elder prophecies to visit the earth to announce judgment on all. In the Old Testament books, the Anunnaki offspring are a race of giants called the Anakim. The radical Ak <clears throat> is found in both Anunnaki and Anakim and is a syllable of great antiquity found in many languages and almost always meaning mighty or a variant thereof. It is commonly found among the titles of rulers and kings, like in the Sanskrit, Sanskrit Ganaka, which means king, Akbar means great, and Cormac, the high king of, uh, of Ireland, great one. Balak was a king of, of Moab, Shishak of Egypt, and Gwernak was a female giant in the Arthurian legends, and the syllables serves as a root for the strongest of all trees, the oak, the yak. Anak also uh, <clears throat> is a Philistine title of rank thought by some scholars to have come from the Mycenaean region of Anaks. It was also Phoenician for prince, and it was a part of many Greco-Aegean titles, and such as philosophers that we've all come to know, like Anaxagoras, Anaximander, Anaxadrides. Now, because the Anunnaki were children of Anu, the later Babylonians misinterpreted the original and very old records of the Sumerians concerning these Anunnaki, or Anunnaki, and there is no evidence that none meant heaven. They did not come from heaven. This was a later Babylonian introduction for which there is no Sumerian evidence. This was merely traditional etymology leading the later Babylonian scribes to interpret the epithet as offspring of heaven and earth. But the Sumerians did not convey this meaning at all. The Sumerian word nun is synonymous with Apsu, the underworld, a common title used in many names of old. Apsu literally means the deep, as in the mythical Nankaiga, or the city of the deep. The Sumerian underworld was thought to be filled with water, the fountains of the deep, and the idea and etymology can be traced back to Sanskrit as well, where we learn that ap is the word for water. The very earliest records held that the Anunnaki had come from the deep. The Anuna's origin was from the underworld. Curiously, the deep has dual meaning. To the credit of the Babylonians, the Apsu was not the only terrestrial was not only terrestrial oceans, but was also a metaphor for the vastness of space, especially the lowest regions below the horizon that were alien to the Sumerians. Both were considered an abyss, a bottomless pit. In some writings, the Anunnaki were seven masters of the underworld and gloomy pit. One text reads, "In the abyss of the deep, they are seven. The dual reference to the heavens and underworld are, are also seen in Akkadian hymns. One reads, they are seven. They are seven in the depths of the ocean. They are seven in the heights of the heaven. They are seven. This dichotomy is also apparent in the Egyptian Book of the Dead text concerning the sons of revolt. It reads, whether the fiends descend from out of heaven or whether they come forth from the earth or whether they advance on the waters or whether they come from among the star gods. The fall of the Anunnaki from heaven is often linked to a curious description given to them as seven mountains. 
This imagery connects the Anunnaki to the watchers of the Enochian and Hebraic traditions. Enoch traveled through heaven and came across a dreadful place. It was between heaven and earth, and it was called the prison of the stars, where the uh, where in the abyss, Enoch witnessed seven stars like great burning mountains, described later in the book of Enoch as mountains burning with fire. The imagery invoked in the text is of a comet that hurls through the vastness of space, the abyss, from the direction of the deep, the regions far below the ecliptic in the southernmost area of our solar system, and the Anunnaki mountain motive connects this to a large ob object descending from the sky to impact the earth. In the book of Revelation of the last days, we have a return of this imagery at, with, in, in, well, pretty much in combination with a return of the goddess motive. Now it says, And I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The beast that thou sawest was and is not, and shall ascend out of, the, out of the bottomless pit, the abyss, and go into perdition, which means ruin. And they, and they that dwell on the earth shall wonder, and here is the mind that hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains, and there are seven kings. Five are fallen, and one is, and the other is not yet come. When he cometh, he must continue a short space. And the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth and is of the seven. In my book, The Lost Scriptures of Giza, I disclosed ample evidence exhibiting that motives and symbols of the Book of Revelation record were not known to the Greeks. And this is the case also with the imagery of mountains identified as powerful supernatural beings. The Revelation text had already been recorded and seen by Enoch and later virtually lost into fragments preserved within the scattered books and traditions of cultures even thousands of miles apart. These seven mountains are the seven Anunnaki of Sumer and Babylonia, also called the seven kings, the sages, the Igigi. In India, there were the seven avatars, the merits, the seven rishis. In Egypt, the Egyptians remembered them as the seven sons of revolt, the masters and the builder gods. The Hebraic traditions called them the sons of God, and it, which is what we find in Genesis 6. It called them the watchers and the Nephilim, while the Greco-Aegean cultures recalled these divinities as the gigantes, the giants the Cyclopes, and the Titans. Lost scriptures of Giza serves to show that the Anakian records in the Revelation had come from the same parent material, a vast corpus of information abbreviated for dissemination for both, for both contained passages mirroring each other, laden with iconography and language unknown to the Greeks and other civilizations extant at the time of the second composition of the Revelation by John on the Isle of Patmos about 96 A.D., or Common Era. However, these writings would have been perfectly understandable to the average literate Sumerian. The apocalyptic language of the Revelation text and references to the seven indicate that the history of the Anunnaki did not end with the Great Flood, but that these arcane beings have yet another role to play in the last days. This is inferred in the riddle provided in Revelation, just cited about the seven kings, and then the eighth who is a part of the seven. The evidence suggests that the eighth is the same as the Anunnaki king who never finished his rule because he was cut off, the flood bringing his kingship to a premature end in the year 2239 B.C., the 670th year of the Nephilim dynasty. The seven-headed dragon of the apocalypse is a symbol for this dynasty, the seven kings of the Anunnaki. But they are ruled over by the matriarchy. She sits on their back. This great, what the religionists call, whore of Babylon. Now, to see.
see much more of this Anunnaki Nephilim dynastic history, to know more about what happened in the flood and the connections, the cross calendrical parallels between Genesis and Revelation, and these, and these immensely fascinating symbols that are only found in the book of Genesis and in the book of Revelation and in no biblical books between. Please see my book, Return of the Fallen Ones. It's about the Anunnaki histories. Concerning the references in antiquity to the Anunnaki having come from underground, we find the following to be interesting. Now, Zechariah Sitchin notes that the knowledge of the coming cataclysm of the Great Flood was not generally given to humanity, but Enoch Enki sneaked the material to a human who then, who then had time to prepare. This was the Great Flood of 2239 caused by the Phoenix phenomenon. Now, this knowledge of the Phoenix, because of all the recorded instances that we have in, in, in my books on the Phoenix of when it was actually predicted, it appears that the knowledge of the Phoenix periodicity has only ever been in the possession of Caucasian peoples. It has never been in the possession of anyone else. And this knowledge was was over and over weaponized to invoke fear in enemy hosts when Caucasian military operations were, uh, were planned in advance of a phoenix appearance. We have references in antiquity to three separate occasions where Caucasian armies were invading and they used the sun darkening of the phoenix to their advantage. Now, Sitchin paints a picture of the Anuna fleeing Earth in spacecraft, horrified at having to abandon humanity to such a fate as, as the coming flood. The problem with this scenario is the dearth of evidence that by this date in the post-technolithic period or the abandonment and shock period leading up to 2239 BC that there were any Anuna with technological ships intact or even present. The last documented presence of the Anuna was in their mass exodus in the year 2647 BC due to cataclysm and the appearance of Nibiru. We'll get to this in a coming video. There is more evidence of the Anuna vanishing into underground facilities and whole multi-level subterranean cities than anyone ever departing this world for the skies. This immense underground, these immense underground cities have been found in the dozens in Turkey, in ancient Anatolia. The first was excavated in 1962, and anybody can, can, can Google the underground cities of Turkey. They've already found 60 of them. Uh, another one has come to my attention that was found in the, the entrance is found in the Grand Canyon. It was found as early as 1901. It too is, fa it too is fascinating. But underground facilities like one in China, which is actually called Fing Hill or Phoenix Hill. It was made for the same purpose. It's a fallout shelter. And it was not built by the Chinese. It was built prior to the Chinese moving into the area. Now, uh, we have more evidence that these uh, these civilization builders come up from their facilities from underground than ever they descended from the skies. It's very interesting what we're uncovering. But we have already mentioned these in our Dark Realities videos and other videos that we've done. And we'll return to this in a future video. It's just not the subject matter of this one. So, in summary of these last three videos on the Adunophiles, videos uh, uh, 16, 17, and 18, what we basically have here is that these ancient calendrical systems were designed as countdowns in antiquity to the return of the matriarchal power. But 
the matriarchal power isn't going to be totally, it's not going to be complete. It's going to actually rest upon the power of the seven kings, those same seven kings whose reign was cut off on the Sumerian king list. Now, these calendars span 5,000-something years, but they all coalesce in the last days. In other videos, we show that the last days actually began in 1902, and the countdown goes to 2106 A.D., or Common Era, with many resets and, and many collapses of these various simulations that we're living within all occurring in May 15th, 16th of the year 2040, and then, and then six and a half years later in November of 2046, which is a uh, subject of another video in these Anuna, coming in the Anuna files. Now, we, have, we still have a lot of ground to cover on the Anunnaki. Do not think by, by, by any uh, stretch of the imagination that we're finished. We are not. The subject of Nibiru is both fascinating and fraught with a lot of disinformation. Perhaps not intended, but more like the result of shoddy research for people just not really following through on leads and chasing the material where it would naturally go. Now, space is vast. Even if it's a simulated holography, it doesn't matter. It's the region of space that is always searched for is the ecliptic plane. The ecliptic is where all, all the activity in the heavens is. It's where we see the comets. It's where we see all the other planets moving uh, uh, in their trajectories around the sun. It's where we move as well. It's basically the equator of the sun. It's called the ecliptic plane. It's uh, the, Cooper, the Cooper disk that we study is all on this ecliptic plane. But what if our solar system had a star? In the far southern regions, that star is going to have its own ecliptic, and that's going to change the game. A single solar system, a binary, would have two different ecliptic planes, and that's going to account for many anomalies in the solar system. So let's entertain this. Let's look at this information before we go into real intimate details about Nibiru. Now, in 1983, a think tank began uh, at the University of Chicago where scientists gathered evidence of past catastrophes, noting mass extinctions at regular intervals. The research concluded, and the scientists submitted their findings in 1984 to two independent research think tanks of astrophysicists and astronomers who sought to analyze and interpret the data that, that had been collated. The two separate groups arrived at the same conclusions, that our solar system either once was a binary having two stars or still has a sister star, a dark star known also as a compressed star. The scientists dubbed this dark star as Nemesis, or the Death Star. Though scientists have concluded that Earth's chaotic past is a result of the presence and interaction of a sister star, there has been no official attempt to locate it. The existence of a black star, also called black holes or frozen stars, is not an untenable idea. These compressed stars are created when a normally luminous star's nuclear fuel has been expended. Now, with no more outward-directed pressure, the luminary darkens and begins folding in on itself with intense inward pressure of gravity, resulting in the implosion of a star's mass, forming the beginning of a black hole. Now, this is a traditional physics approach, an abbreviated explanation serving to demonstrate how a star begins dying. However, the actual creation of a black hole may take a phenomenally long time, or it could be a single day. We really don't know enough about the anomaly to make an accurate assessment. 
the darkened star could remain for thousands of years or more as a black shadowy orb. Now, our own sun may be very close to a dark star and we would not be able to see it. For telescopes and infrared instruments require the light to enter through their lenses, but no light can escape a collapsing star due to its uh, immense gravitation. Now, theoretical physics, physics proposes a very radical yet plausible idea. Just as there exist particles and antiparticles, matter and elusive dark matter, these subatomic particles, bosons, electrons, neutrinos, protons, positrons, uh, let's see, gluons, neutrons, quarks, tachyons, uh, fermions, and the, you know, the unprovable uh, gravitons, these uh, merely emulate their astronomical and colossal counterparts, luminous stars and dark stars what were once called frozen stars. These darkened stars are spherical concentrations of mass to such a critical extreme that the space-time around them is warped so that nothing, including light photons, can escape. These are, of course, the exact opposite of luminaries that give off light and fill the heavens. These compressed stars are invisible to astronomers because telescopes only see by virtue of escaping photons. Dark stars can come in all sizes. With no way to perceive their existence outside uh, complex and often erroneous mathematical formulae that only take under consideration known variables, what we know of dark stars is entirely theoretical. But astronomers know that something is out there, for its unseen presence can be seen by the way it affects those things that we can study. Everything is connected by gravity. All stars, planets, moons, asteroids, and comets are gravitationally connected to one another and to everything else. The sun has a center of gravity along its equator known as the ecliptic. Now, the, this imaginary line through the heavens whereupon the planets Mercury and Venus and Earth, Mars, the asteroid belt, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, and, and other planets like Pluto and the Cooper belt objects are all throughout the disk orbit the sun on this line. They, uh, now, these travel this plane uh, in almost perfect level. It's, it's almost perfectly level throughout the solar system. It's, it's very odd, but it shows you where the sun's center of gravity is. The further distance away from the surface of the sun, the more they deviate to a certain amount of degrees north or south of this imaginary line. Now, the further they deviate shows the outside gravitational influence. Now, the orbits of Mercury, Pluto, the asteroids, and comets all have an extreme inclination from the ecliptic plane. The perturbations of the planets Uranus and Neptune absolutely require the presence of a nearby and powerful object gravitationally attracting the outer rim planets of the solar system. This isn't me saying this. This is astrophysicists. They come up with mathematical computations and models that show that the movements of these gigantic gas giants like Uranus and Neptune do not make sense without the presence of something unseen pulling, pulling them. Uh, basically, they're gravitationally locked to it. Now, astronomers admit that more than half of the stars that we see in the night skies through telescopes are binary systems. Incredibly, most binary systems are differential binaries, two or more stars that revolve around one another, basically made of totally different compositions. Now, it must be recognized that any binary system will, by necessity, have two ecliptics, with each star maintaining their own center of gravity along their own equatorial mass. In fact, a vex under modern scholarship is the recent discovery of a triple system of stars, a trinary, with a gigantic Jupiter-sized planet orbiting the largest of the three stars in a system astronomers call HD 188753 in the constellation of Cygnus. 
This triad system is approximately 149 million light years away from Earth, and the stars of this unusual system are 850 million miles from one another. From the surface of this huge planet can be seen one bright sun and two very far away smaller stars that shine as, as basically as brilliant as the other stars in the sky. There is no evidence that multiple star systems maintain equal plane ecliptics. Now, that another ecliptic plane intersects our own is further evident by the unusual and thus far unexplained 23 degree angle of the Earth's tilt. As the Earth travels around the Sun, we would expect the planet to roll around its parent star with its axis pointed at 23 degrees inclination toward the Sun all year long, but this is not the case. For half of the year, our planet's tilt is toward the Sun, while on, the, while on our elliptical path, the tilt points away from the Sun for half a year, but it's still at 23 degrees. Why is this possible? How is this possible? Why is Earth's polar axis not locked in a 90-degree position as it orbits the Sun like Mercury and Venus? Beginning with Earth and through the other planets of Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune, every planet is tilted. The answer is glaringly evident. Mercury and Venus remain gravitationally locked to their parent star because they are so close to Sol, our Sun. But Earth, 93 million miles away from the surface of the Sun, and Mars even farther, and everything beyond the asteroid belt is powerfully influenced by the gravitational attraction of something else. The dark star's ecliptic plane intersects directly between the orbits of Venus and Earth, virtually perpendicular to the plane of the sun's ecliptic upon which we orbit. This fact alone is why the ancient Sumerians called the Anunnaki homeworld Nibiru the planet of the crossing, as well as the designation the fairy, because it was a planet that orbited both stars. The further away from the intersection of binary ecliptics, the more evidence we see of the dark star's gravitational influence upon our own system. Earth's moon literally rolls around our planet. Its far side is never seen, and yet as it travels approximately every 28 days, it suffers a drag that makes its own path irregular and even over time inconsistent. A perfect moon would eclipse the sun, casting its shadow the exact same regions of Earth time and time again with such predictive precision that eclipses would be published decades in advance as occurring only along a single strip of the Earth's surface. But this does not occur, for the shadow of eclipses travels in winding curves and upon different regions of the Earth. We calculate them today because we take into consideration these unusual motions of the Earth and Moon, but the explanation of why we experience these motions is still forthcoming. Even the Moon's presence is a mystery, for it is, it is a different composition than the Earth, and in relation to the planet it orbits, our Moon is the largest in the entire solar system. This is essentially a double planet system. One is inhabited, and the other is apparently destroyed. Scientists cannot explain how such a colossal satellite could even be there without crashing into the Earth. My Phoenix research is further evidence that we have a large gravitational body in the southern hemisphere skies. It's way below the equator. Now, in when the sun darkens, the entire orbital history of a planet that our ancestors knew as Phoenix was, was provided. Now, it's an object actually seen by a modern astronomer in 1764 when it transited between Earth and the sun and obscured one-fifth of the surface of the fiery orb and was seen by the naked eye all over Europe. 
The astronomer Hoffman studied Phoenix in the month of May and noted with astonishment that it traveled from north to south, passing over the ecliptic plane between Earth and the Sun. This is exactly where Nibiru transits and passes over the ecliptic directly between Earth and Venus. However, Nibiru is of a much more vast size than Phoenix, and unlike Phoenix, Nibiru is inhabited. The inclined axis of Earth at 23 degrees, as well as those of the other planets, seem to to remain aligned. They're, they're pretty much re they remain aligned with the dark star's ecliptic plane. Additionally, unlike any other known satellites in our solar system, two of Jupiter's moon moons also orbit from pole to pole. Having moons that are orbiting from north to south over their own equatorial bulges, over their own over the they're, they're transiting the ecliptic plane, which is the sun's center of gravity. For this to be happening on such a large scale, and for the 23.5 degree tilt, uh, inclined tilt of the planets like Earth, the only thing that, that could possibly be occurring here is a second gravitational body is influencing these, and that soul, our sun, does not have these planets firmly locked into position. That a large dark, opaque body was seen outside our solar system has been documented, and then subsequently silenced. In the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, 1915-394, we learn that a Professor Bernard, he's a famous astronomer in the early 20th century, he discovered such a black body in the region of Cephas. The very next year, in the Astrophysical Journal of 1916, he had to modify his description, and he said it was a dark nebula. He came up under such criticism by peer, under peer review that in order to be taken seriously in his field, he had to modify it to something that was acceptable to the other astronomers. Now, he called it then a dark nebula. Now, in 1919, Charles Fort, in the Book of the Dam, a critical analysis of scientific observations conveniently forgotten by the establishment, he remarks that this dark companion of the star Algol was not the first time such blackened regions of space were seen and reported. Algol is, is an ancient name for this area, and it means the ghoul, referring to a hellish creature whose fate was delayed, an undead being like the Anunnaki. Fort wrote, our acceptance is that vast celestial vagabonds have been excluded by astronomers because they have not been seen so very often. The planets steadily reflect the light of the sun. Upon this uniformity, a system that we call primary astronomy has been built up. But now the subject matter of advanced astronomy is data of celestial phenomena that are sometimes light and sometimes dark, varying like some of the satellites of Jupiter, but with a wider range. However light or dark, they have been seen and reported so often that the only important reason for their exclusion is that they just don't fit in. I love Charles Fort. Fort's work is filled with examples of phenomena uh, uh, in our own system that betray the, the influence of something else. Now, Andy Lloyd, a modern author today, has recently published a work titled dark star, wherein he cites Dr. John Anderson, who believes that there is a planet with an orbital period of 700 to 1,000 years that enters our own system perpendicular to the ecliptic. I'm going to repeat that. He believes it's 700 to 1,000 years, and it returns with regularity, but it, it returns perpendicular to the ecliptic. It's not on the ecliptic plane. It's he's, he's, he's describing exactly what the Phoenix phenomenon does. 
Now, this modern scientist is closer to the truth than any, than either Sitchin, Lloyd, or any known author today concerning the orbital longevity of planet Nibiru, or the Nibiru object, the Nibiru ray station, or maybe a small brown crown dwarf star that's trailing debris that are inhabited with biospheres, I don't know. But whatever it is, whatever it is, it is on a 700 to 1,000 year one. And as a matter of fact, precisely 792 years, which we're going to show in the next two videos. Now, it appears that the ancients would have us know that Nibiru does not orbit the sun as other planets do. It is highly elliptical and does not, and does not move on the sun's ecliptic. If it moved along the ecliptic, no matter how far, it would have been detected and recorded by modern astronomers by now. Very few stargazers pay attention to the stellar regions away from the plane of the ecliptic because it is here, within this belt of the sky, that the sun and moon traverse. As well as all the planets, like I said, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, many of the, the prominent large uh, asteroids and uh, the really unique anomalous large items uh, or objects that are in the Cooper Belt. They're all on the sun's ecliptic. Now, the zodiac lies along this ecliptic belt as well. All the zodiac, the, the, 12, primary, the 12 primary ones do, are constellations. Now, probably the greatest deterrent to the discovery of this lost planet is due to its presence in the far southern heavens, which is not visible from anywhere north of the equator, the Earth's equatorial regions. Even Zechariah Sitchin has written that Nibiru would be seen from the southern heaven, heavens first and would ascend from below the solar system. And in this, Zechariah Sitchin and I are in 100% agreement. The leaders of the scientific world for the past few centuries have been in Europe, Russia, the United States, Canada, China, and Japan, and none of these regions can view the southern heavens. In classical and more ancient times, astronomers viewed the depths of space from the Mediterranean, North Africa, the Near East, India, and China, and still, the, the, the southern circumpolar stars cannot be seen. The Great Pyramid site is 30 degrees north of the equator. Only from geographical areas south of, south of the equator can the southern regions of space be viewed and studied. This area in the ancient cosmology is the deep. It is the abyss of the Sumerians, which the Anunnaki emerged from. Now, astronomers are reporting on a yearly basis all kinds of objects they see, and then they're peer-reviewed. But in being peer-reviewed, it's not that the objects can be seen again, because objects are always in motion. They're, off, they're often seen in photographic plates by, by telescopes that are basically shotgunning, or like machine-gunning pictures over a period of time, and then those pictures are analyzed for any anomalies. Now, such an anomaly appeared in 2005, and it, it is of epic importance. However, because it doesn't fit with the astronomical model of our solar system, it was quickly, basically, forgotten in place of other exoworlds that are light years away. But I'm going to tell you what happened anyway. Now, uh, in 2005, we have the first direct photographic evidence of an exoplanet, the astronomical resolution <coughs> given to planets that are seen afar off that do not orbit any known star. This planet was estimated to be twice the size of Jupiter, and its distance in 2005 was reported at about 100 AUs. Now, this is where they get clever. Most people not really researching these terms would think that AUs was some great distance in, 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 in space, and it's not. An AU is an astronomical unit. It is 93 million miles. It is the distance from Earth to the surface of the sun. 
Now, the most distant official planet in our solar system is Neptune at about 30 AUs away from the sun. Now, you have to also understand that the Cooper belt goes out to 50 AUs, or so they think. They don't know. They haven't been out there to measure it. So, as Earth travels around the sun, it eventually arrives to the opposite side of our luminary, 186 million miles away from where it stood six months earlier. Thus, the Earth travels around the sun the distance of virtually four AUs in its orbit. Thus, 70 AUs is not far at all. In fact, the light of the sun reaches Earth in eight minutes, traveling at 186,000 miles per second. Now, past Neptune, the sunlight would reach this giant planet 70 AUs away in 9 hours and 20 minutes. I'm going to repeat that. Neptune is so far, and yet it's in our system, that it would it still it's, it's not, it takes 9 hours and 20 minutes for the light to travel 70 AUs. Now, 70 AUs isn't even 1% of a light year. The closest luminaries to our own solar system are Alpha Proxima and Alpha Centauri, which revolve around each other, and uh, Alpha Centauri is 4.2 light years away from our sun. Jupiter is 318 times the mass of Earth and is 5.2 AUs away from our sun, orbiting it in just under 12 years. In this time, this massive planet travels around 14 AUs in our solar system, and it... it, it it's such an abbreviated amount of time that it's if Jupiter can move 30 AUs in such a short period of time, 100 AUs is nothing. Remember, we're looking for an object that's coming out of southern space that that uh, takes 700 to 1,000 years to get here each time. The Alpha Proxima Centauri system, being 4.2 light years away, is actually... 252,000 AUs away for one light year equals 63,000 AUs. Do you understand what I, the implications of what I'm saying? What I'm saying here is that the object that was seen in 2005 is inside our own system. It's only 100 AUs away. 100 AUs isn't even anything like 252,000 AUs away. That's ridiculous. In the book New Worlds in the Cosmos, astrophysicists Michael Mayer and Pierre-Yves Frey revealed that gigantic Jupiter-sized planets have been discovered orbiting other suns in vastly irregular elliptical orbits. Exoplanet HD 80606b is over four times the size of Jupiter, orbiting around the star Upsilon Andromeda with a periastron of 1.6 AUs, with an orbit taking it out 3.4 AUs away from its sun. Nibiru's elliptical orbit is no longer theoretical, but demonstrative and demonstrative by modern physicists. So what do these facts indicate? Again, the evidence is clear. This huge planet is only called an exoplanet because the dark star it orbits has not been scientifically acknowledged. And 70 AUs is so close, much nearer than the dark star itself, that this recently discovered planet in 2005 is within our own system. It could not possibly belong to other stars light years away. As we will show in the next two videos, Nibiru will return in 2046 in the month of November. And to assume that a planetary body cannot travel 70 AUs in 40, in less than 30, well, 35, 36 years, uh, this would be ridiculous. Conser con you know, considering that Earth itself moves the distance of 4 AUs a year traveling around the sun. During, during this time, Earth will have moved almost 120 AUs along the ecliptic. 
Not only is Nibiru moving back toward Earth and the inner system since reaching Aphelion in the year 1680 AD, but its own gravitational influence is being profoundly felt by our world right now. In 1831, the North Magnetic Pole was first measured uh, 151 years after Nibiru began its return journey. In 2006, scientists asserted that the, mag the magnetic North Pole has wandered some 500 miles since it was first measured in 1831. The wandering was minute initially, but in the last few decades, the polar wandering has increased to 25 miles a day. The year 3895 BC has been shown in several posts and videos to have been a catastrophic reset 1,656 years before the Great Flood, which was the 1656 year of the Genesis Antediluvian period. Civilizations were ended in lithospheric displacement, volcanic resurfacing, a new vapor canopy appeared in the sky, and giantism became the norm as megafauna thrived. Primitive societies revived. A totemism and Neolithic people survived in scattered groups. 792 years after this devastating worldwide restart, in the year 3895 BC in the month of May caused by Phoenix, Something unusual happened. The year was 3103 B.C. 3103 B.C. is well known to be the start of the Vedic Kali Yuga calendar. Some ancient calendars had different New, year, New Year's months, January, March, November, but this begin date could actually be 3102. It doesn't really matter for the purposes of this video. We have previously shown how so many ancient calendars and civilization start dates began all around 3100 BC. In fact, archaeologists have marveled at the sudden transition from Neolithic culture to full-fledged civilization in Egypt at this time. In 3113 BC, the Mayan Long Count calendar began. Ivar Zapp and George Erickson in the year 1998 wrote that it is apparent that some major event of worldwide import occurred at this date, that it must have involved a celestial observation to have so influenced sky watchers around the world to have acted as a catharsis for a new age. These sky watchers of the Maya believed in seven creator gods under the primordial god, Hunabku, much as the Sumerians regarded the seven Anunnaki builder gods. Astrophysicist Tom Ray of Dublin Institute for the Advanced Studies discovered that light would penetrate the back wall of the famous Newgrange vault exactly 5,150 years ago at the exact moment the sun emerged. This is in the book Feats and Wisdom of the Ancients. This time indicates the year 3162, which, which virtually aligns with the other pre-cataclysm calendars that all began circa 3100 B.C. Charcoal samples taken from Newgrange's ancient caulking of the roof slabs date to about 3100 B.C. The 792-year period is found again before the flood. Herodotus was told by Egyptian priests that their written history dated back 11,340 years before his era. Now, the Egyptians, as has been demonstrated elsewhere with proofs, inflated their chronologies. The 11,340 years is actually 1,134 years. All they did was add a zero, or Herodotus made the mistake and added the zero for them. Now, uh, e now this is before Herod. Now, this 11,300. Uh, this this. Uh, uh, 1,134 year period was not the present, not during Herodotus' time, but was. 
uh, mentioned as a reference to a very distinctive period in ancient Egyptian history. Now, Egypt, after 2239 B.C. Cataclysm, uh, actually began, as we have seen in other videos that we have posted, in 1897 B.C. This was 341 years after the Cataclysm, which lasted an entire year. For those of you who are unaware, the 2239 total collapse of all old all old. Uh, Bronze Age societies in the month of May it was a year-long event. Even in Genesis, the flood event was described as 11 months long. Now, uh, let's see. Now, there was a great dispersion of Aryan people in 1899 B.C. going in all different directions. So we, we in modern times have, have received this story as the Tower of Babel dispersion. And many of these chronologies and histories came from that, that spreading about. So a, a, a minority of those people ended up in Egypt. Now, counting 1,134 years from 3,031 B.C., which is 792 years before the flood, is the first year of Egypt after the Cataclysm, or 1897 B.C. Now... 31, 30, I mean, 3,031 B.C. was exactly 792 years before the flood. Now, the clever Egyptian deception is exposed by the next chronological fact given to Herodotus. The priest took him to a temple and showed him statues of 341 high priests who had, in turn, succeeded each other. Now, but these 341 statues did not represent men. They represented years, just as the great busts on Easter Island represent years as well. This was 341 years, the precise duration from the great flood cataclysm, which ended in 2238 B.C., to the founding of the post-Diluvian Kemet, Egypt, in 1897 B.C. Remember, the Genesis account reads that the flood lasted almost an entire year, thus 341 years ended in 1897 B.C. This is without coincidence. This is, this is beyond coincidence. The 792-year thread in antiquity continues. Exactly 792 years after the Great Flood Phoenix reset, we arrive at the year 1447 B.C. A thousand years ago, Rashi wrote of this year. Now, this is very, this is very intriguing because this year... It is critical that you get this year right in biblical chronology in order to date every other event in the Bible. So let's look at this year just a little bit more different, a little, a little deeper. Now, a host of authors and references show 1447 B.C. was actually the date of the ten plagues of Egypt and the exodus of the Israelites from bondage. As the Great Flood was the year 1656 on the Old World Chronology, or 2239 B.C., this was 792 years before the 1447 B.C. Exodus event, or the year 2448 of the Old World's calendar. And this is fascinating, for 2448 was the ancient Egyptian number for cataclysm. You just can't make this stuff up. René Andrew Boulay, a historian formerly employed with the National Space Agency as a cryptologist and reporter on intelligence activities, an antiquarian and chronologist himself, wrote 
Scholars agree that the key to establishing the time of events in biblical times hinges on fixing the date of the Exodus. His own calculations place the Exodus at 1447 B.C. The renowned researcher and author of Ages and Chaos named Emmanuel Velikovsky wrote that computations have been made which indicate that 1447 is the year of the Exodus. Two independent thinkers deriving at the same conclusion. Biblical chronologist and author of Secrets of Time places the date of the Exodus exactly at 1447 B.C. This is Stephen Jones, a researcher who used the scriptures, the Book of Jasher, the Book of Jubilees, and the Assyrian eponyms to arrive at this date. In Jones' research, the year 1447 B.C. was also the year 2448 Annas Mundi, the cataclysm number for Egypt. In the in the old Jewish cedar Hadaroth, the plagues on Egypt uh, and uh, the Exodus took place in the year 2448. Having no idea when the, the Exodus occurred, the authors Patrick Gerald and Gino Ratinks independently discovered that the Egyptian number for cataclysm was 2448. The sum of 2448 years is exactly one-third of the entire Anunnaki chronology from 5239 B.C., to the year 2106 A.D. when they are destroyed by the chief cornerstone, which is the 6,000th year from the 3895 B.C. pole shift reset caused by Phoenix. We will see, we will demonstrate all this in, in coming charts. Now, as found in chronotexture, law science of prophetic engineering, the number 2448 is found prominently in the measures of the Great Pyramid. Even chronologists long ago almost got the date right. Hevelius in, Comat in, in Comatographia in the year 1668 wrote, In the year of our world, Annus Mundi, 2453, he was only five years off. According to certain authorities, a comet was seen in Syria, Babylonia, India, in the sign Joe, in the form of a disc, at the very time when the Israelites were on their march from Egypt to the Promised Land. The exodus of the Israelites is placed by Calvinius in the year of the world, 2453. That's pretty much dead reckoning for something that happened 4,000 years ago. The biblical method of dating the exodus and Egyptian disasters results with the same 1447 B.C. or 2448 and its moody date. According to the book of Exodus, the Israelites escaped Egypt 430 years after the sojourn in, in Egypt began, beginning in 1877 B.C., when Abraham was told by God his descendants would be a captive in Egypt. This is recorded and, and ascertained by adding up the ages of the ten patriarchs and, and, and uh, deriving at the year 1656. In 1656, uh, uh, of the great flood, being 792 years before the, uh, the Exodus, many people have, have made the discovery that in the biblical chronology, like Stephen Jones himself dates the Abrahamic Covenant at exactly 1877 B.C., and so other authors by the clues that are given in the Genesis narrative alone and no other books. Now, this was the institution of the Abrahamic Covenant in 1877 B.C., and the church father and historian Eusebius over 15 centuries ago in his Chronicon wrote that, that the Exodus occurred 430 years after God and Abraham entered into the covenant. This is very intriguing because 430 years after 1877 B.C. is exactly 1447 B.C. Now, this is done by other, other researchers' arithmetic, not my own. All I am doing is putting it together in a, in a chart form. Now, 
In the year 3103 B.C., someone arrived. 792 years after the 3895 B.C. Worldwide Phoenix Reset Pole Shift, now ever recalled in the Genesis narrative as the fall from Eden. Then, 72 years later, they initiated a civilization in Egypt in 3031 B.C., or 792 years before the next reset, or the Great Flood in 2239 B.C. Then the deluge occurred, which lasted a year, and 792 years after this reset was the year 1447 B.C., plagues on Egypt, and a new people would seed the Mediterranean and new civilizations, the Israelites. But the Israelites would also be oppressed by a new deity, a new presence that went by the name of Yahweh that brought a new covenant, a covenant of death, a covenant that is still operative today and has many agents in the deep state, in the media, in the elite circles of the world, in the secret societies. It's still going on. This controversy that has been recorded is still happening today. Now, so as to prevent any confusion, the purpose of this video alone is very simple. It is to introduce you to the idea that ancient calendrical systems and the number 792 are linked to the Anunnaki, to the arrival of personalities in world history that masqueraded as gods. Nemesis X object, coming vapor canopy apocalypse. This is the new remastered voiceover edition. Nothing you have ever come in contact with has ever prepared you for the stunning conclusion in this video. No greater secret relevant to quickly approaching events has ever been released from archaics. This, this summary will unveil a shocking truth that your soul will not deny. What comes would bring devils back to God. Anuna Files, Part 21, Nemesis X Object and the Coming Vapor Canopy Apocalypse. 5239 BC began the new nemesis simulation, probably an ancestor simulation initiated by humans to better understand how the collapse of our binary system could have been either avoided or a means of survival could have been discovered. The original solar system consisted of a day star and a lesser star, both luminaries. The day star was brilliant and had in its orbital family the Appen or Phoenix. Luna, our moon today, was formerly a world called Kengu. Earth, our world, the dark satellite and the Nemesis X object. Some call it Nibiru. All five of these bodies orbited the day star, which is located at 33 degrees incline far below present Sol. The lesser star, our present Sol, had six planetary bodies, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, Uranus, and Neptune. Eleven worlds in this original binary star system. A differential binary system with two ecliptic planes. The simulation is programmed to last 7,344 years precisely to 2106 Common Era, or 85 years from today. From outside this holography, this 7344-year period in three periods of 2448 years each actually occurs in a very short time, hours or days. 
to those personalities inside the holography, the experience follows the protocols of real time outside the simulacrum. So we experience life inside with no shortcuts, long days and lives. Under the perfect biospheric conditions of the day star, the greater sun, and a lesser sun, far away to illuminate gently the, the night skies, the prehistoric creatures known to us as dinosaurs, from the alleged Precambrian to the Jurassic periods, flourished, growing to immense sizes because of the vitamin, nitrogen, and rich soil and vegetation, oxygen-dense atmosphere, an outer water canopy that magnified the heavens while also diffusing light and deflecting away harmful radiation. However, this was not millions of years ago, as we will see here. Even today, under pristine conditions and diet, amphibians and reptiles grow to truly astonishing sizes. Even in Genesis, there is no mention in the creation account of a moon, but instead the text reads, And God made two great lights, and the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. This text concerns luminaries, the hollow field above, not the moon. Similicrum holography begins with 11 worlds peacefully orbiting their own stars at angles of the ecliptic planes in a double star system until the day star, the brighter luminary, suddenly collapsed. A dark star is formed after an immense discharge of X-flare activity. The Nemesis star was born. Nemesis simulation protocol begins. Earth is catapulted out of Nemesis orbit and in 270 years stabilizes into an orbit as the third planet from Sol's surface. The lesser light has now taken the position of the fallen day star. Earth's new home is shown perfectly by the Titius Bode Law to be out of place here orbiting Sol. Astronomers have discovered a disturbing phenomenon concerning Earth's orbit position and distance from the sun. There is a mathematical formula belonging to all the other planets in this solar system exempting Pluto, which is probably a lost moon, that forms a precise mathematic pattern that Earth does not fit into. Each planet is about twice the distance from the surface of the Sun than the preceding planet. On a scale of millions of kilometers, the distances of the planets from the Sun are Mercury at 58, Venus 110, which is times 2 of Mercury, Earth 150, which is only 40 from Venus, Mars is 230, which is times 2 of Venus, Asteroid Belt is 440, which is times 2 of Mars, Jupiter is 780, which is times 2 of the Asteroid Belt, Saturn is 1430, which is times 2 of Jupiter, Uranus is 2880, which is times 2 of Saturn, Neptune Pluto alternate their orbits. This data shows that Earth is an intruder world fit snugly between the orbital belts of both Venus and Mars. Earth is tilted at 23.5 degrees obliquity, but Mercury and Venus are not because they are not gravitationally locked to the dark star or nemesis, nemesis ecliptic plane. Mathematically, Earth can be removed to make the pattern perfect. Our planet does not belong in this solar system. We are a sojourner here, as men on Earth are sojourners through material existence until the death, the exit of the simulation. Earth, after 270 years, stabilizes. Humans survive in underground societies, humanity having lived in the day star system, a fantastic civilization before the star collapsed. 
In 439 BC, the Earth undergoes another destruction with sudden appearance of the dead world, Kingu, that also catapulted away from the Nemesis system and slowly approached Earth. This is referred as the Capture Flood or the Capture of Luna, a real event with many worldwide traditions remembering long ago when Earth had no moon. Cited in old books by Hans Bellamy, Hans Borger, and Emmanuel Velikovsky. But this Luna is not a moon, but a dead world, hollowed, inhabited by a Nuna who escaped the Nemesis system. Our moon's orbit is dead. It merely rolls around the Earth in 28 days. Many Anuna, with their technology, descend and build a fantastic civilization in North America. Precisely 144 years after the capture flood, another nemesis object enters the solar system, the Appen, later called Fink, Fing, Typhon, Fenris, Phoenix. This major cataclysm was 3895 BC in the month of May, but unlike Luna, the Appen moved along its original ecliptic path from north to south over Sol's ecliptic where Earth now orbited. Appen deposited a vast dust veil of red particles that blanketed the Earth, caused thousands of volcanoes to erupt, which created very rapidly the vapor canopy on Earth, just like the one Venus has today. 3895 BC begins the vapor canopy world of 1656 years duration, the pre-flood world of the book of Genesis, which describes that there was no rain, only a mist that watered the ground. For years, people built walled communities to keep safe from the gigantic animals and insects that thrived under this new biosphere. Settlements like Jericho, Gobleki Tipi, Akambaro, and Katohuyuk. Akambaro, Mexico has yielded over 30, 33,500 objects of ceramic stone, including jade and knives of obsidian sharper than steel and still used today in heart surgeries. Bizarre statuettes are among them, some of the ground. For years, people built walled communities to keep safe from the gigantic animals and insects that thrived under this new biosphere. Settlements like Jericho, Gobleki Tipi, Akambaro, and Catalhoyuk. Akambaro, Mexico has yielded over 30, 33,500 objects of ceramic stone, including jade and knives of obsidian sharper than steel and still used today in heart surgeries. Bizarre statuettes are among them, some of a very erotic nature. Representations of, of Negroes, Orientals, of bearded Caucasians, and even Bigfoot-type creatures. Humans writing and interacting with anatomically correct prehistoric animals are in this collection. But this was not millions of years ago. Radiocarbon analysis estimates they date about 4000 BC. That's a real close approximate for 3895 BC, within 140 years. 110 years, actually. Discovered by Jules Rubin in 1944, the artifacts were unearthed with the teeth of an extinct Ice Age horse and the skeleton of a mammoth, just south of Texas at Acambaro, Mexico. The condition of giantism in flora and fauna are genomic, triggered by environmental stimuli. 
all life forms have vast arrays of palindromic latent gene sequences that can activate in seconds under the right conditions. In 1902, just after Phoenix passed in the month of May, two scientists studied the volcano at Mount Pele just after it exploded, killing all 30,000 people on Martinique in the French Caribbean. These two researchers were exposed to an ambient radiation that bewildered bewildered them for all the all over the island plants and insects instantly grew to astonishing sizes both scientists grew inches taller one in his 60s grew two inches in height but this is an old fact of history that rewrites the entire ages eras, epics, and periods of the dinosaurs because this vapor canopy event has happened in human living memory in the 4th millennium BC. Traditions, monuments, and ceramics prove humans lived among dinosaurs. The last period was 1,656 years in length, called more popularly as the Antediluvian World until a second cataclysm destroyed the vapor canopy which is known as the Great Flood. With a ocean above, the vapor canopy, harmful UVs did not penetrate. Oxygen and carbon dioxide was a hundredfold what it is today, causing plants, forests, insects, animals, and people to grow to gigantic proportions and very quickly. It began the age of heroes. Men healed in minutes, held their breath for long periods of time. They lifted weights that are unimaginable today. In the 456 year of the vapor canopy, or pre-flood history, the third world from the old fallen day star system arrived in the solar system. Like Earth, Luna and Appen, it too passed right between Venus and Mars, where Earth and Luna were now located. It traveled the dark star ecliptic, but took much longer because its total orbit is 792 years. This is the Nemesis X object, better known as Nibiru. This is the literary beginning of the Anuna Anunnaki history. Every text concerning their arrival to Sumer mentions that it was exactly 432,000 units of time before the great deluge, the vapor canopy, collapsed. This 432,000 divided by the pre-flood draconian calendar of 360 days is precisely 12 centuries, 1,200 years, which is perfect for, for 3439 B.C. to 2239 B.C. Great Flood is 12 centuries. Astronomer Royale for Scotland, Piazzi Smith, in the 1870s wrote that the descending passage in the Great Pyramid points to 3440 B.C. He was one year off, pointed directly at Alpha Draconis, the Eye of the Dragon, or the ancient antediluvian pole star. The pyramid identifying the very 360-day stellar calendar it was constructed under. 3439 to 2647 B.C. was 792 years. This is technolithic civilization. It begins with the arrival of the Anuna, who possess an intact infrastructure in fleets from Dillman, but ultimately traveling from ancient cataclysm-torn North America. This is the contact period. Anuna with Enki arrive in the 456th year of the vapor canopy world just months after Nemesis X passes in quakes, flooding, and great destruction across America. 2905 B.C., the Anuna build the Great Pyramid at Akuzan, at a site where Enki, later known as Enoch, vanished in 2909 B.C. 
The Great Pyramid required 90 years of construction. The Great Pyramid concealed the rectilinear internal and external dimensions of a 7,344-year holographic template of the simulacrum's entire running duration from 5239 to 2106 Common Era, as already shown in our other videos and published books. Major mining and industry conducted throughout the Pentopolis, the five Anuna cities. They each have their own dynasty as shown on the Sumerian king list, and different Anuna dynasties have their own racially tailored human populations of dark Caucasoid, high oriental servant classes, the Mongolid and Negroid workers, and the black-headed Sumerians who were stewards with the most freedoms and privileges. The Anuna dynasties were small families, bearded men possessing amazing technology, ruling over huge, smooth-skinned, dark peoples unable to grow facial hair. With the departure of Enki, many other Anuna, a power vacuum filled quickly and enters the historical record as the Sumerian king list, the seven Anunnaki kings of the Pentopolis, who rule the final 241,200 shards till the Great Flood, or 670 years of the Draconian system. The Anuna that remained in the Pentopolis began interbreeding campaigns until they succeeded in producing humans that were totally compatible in characteristics with themselves. The darker, smooth-skinned races of goddess-worshipping humans that served them in their racial castes were rapidly multiplying against them becoming more difficult to control. Outside the fortified Pentopolis and outlying cities, the world was full of dangerous vapor canopy creatures and age of dragons. The continued reappearance of the Appen, called throughout history as the Sky Dragon, the Phoenix, found its origin in this period. Suddenly, the majority of the Anuna vanished. Governments collapsed. Chaos became prevalent. Infighting occurred. The Anuna that remained were had become overlords, later called Anunnaki, tyrant kings. 2647 BC was the Nemesis X object Nibiru again as it passed through the solar system. The Anuna population disappears completely for 792 years after they first appeared, ending the contact period. The Anuna with Enki arrived in the 456 year of the vapor canopy, or 456 Annus Mundi, pre-flood year. This was 3439 BC, after the Nemesis X object passed a few months earlier. Now, in the 456 year of the Vedic Kali Yuga calendar, Nemesis X object passes through the system again. And there is a departure of the Anuna, the exodus of the Anunnaki from the known urban centers. 3103 BC began the Vedic chronology according to centuries-old Vedic and Indian scholarship. Now, the final 408 years before the collapse of the vapor canopy, before the Great Flood, is called the Abandonment and Shock Period. Also, it's called the Post-Technolithic Period. While it seems that history alludes that the Anuna arrived by Nibiru and then departed 792 years when Nibiru appeared again. This is only partially the case.
The ancient appearance of Inky and his fleets were from disaster-worn America, and it was a return to the Americas and British Isles that resulted in the Anuna Exodus. They departed the old world back to the lands of their nativity, and amazingly, this 408-year period is remembered in the ancient American legends. Wars, famine, cannibalism, loss of order, return to primitivism, goddess cults turned dark, human sacrifice, and people seeking a return of the Anuna built images on the ground that can be seen from the sky, hoping that passing Anuna aircraft called Veminas would make a stop. The vapor canopy world endured 1656 years, meaning gigantic and vicious animals just got bigger and more numerous. The gigantic walls of the world's most ancient cities are pre-cataclysm. They are before 2239 B.C., and they were built to keep large animals out, according to David Hatcher Childers in Lost Cities of Atlantis, Ancient Europe. On page 205, he cites many sources. Andrew Collins remarked that the enormity of the walls was because the people of Jericho desperately sought to keep something out. Gobleki Tipi, Genesis of the Gods, Andrew Collins said this on page 218. It is my position that the extra high and thick walls were not to keep humans out. They, that was unnecessary. They were to keep large predatory megafauna at bay and away from humans. Then, as we have shown in many videos, the Appen returns in May 2239 B.C., 1656 years after it caused the vapor canopy to appear in 3895 B.C. It initiates a collapse of this in the marine mesosphere of water that is remembered as the Great Flood of Noah. Great destructions, but without the vapor canopy's unique atmospheric pressure, oxygen-rich biosphere, the flora and fauna return to sizes we recognize today. The end of the giants. This begins the Heliolithic period, or birth of the sun. According to worldwide traditions that tell of the fall of the older violet sky, the four sun ages now begin in, an ancient, Amer in ancient American records. The Heliolithic Maritime Empire begins just after the vapor canopy collapses when fleets of technologically advanced Caucasians set up port fortifications all over Asia, India, the Persian Gulf, Magan, along Egypt's coast. Their North American civilization thrived the entire 408 years until the cataclysm. This Caucasian-dominated maritime empire built cities in Peru, in Bolivia, Central America, the Mediterranean, Egypt, Phoenicia, Anatolia, the Dardanelles, Sardinia, Tigris, Euphrates, Canaan, Harappa, Elam, and China, and their rule endured 552 years till it was ended in 1687 BC by the return of the Phoenix, recalled in ancient by ancient writers as the Ogygian Deluge. The ruination was catastrophic, quakes the culprit. Traditions from three different continents describe a 25-year darkness. The sun had died. Starvation, mass migrations, depopulation, disease, a dark age. Loss of the last of the post-technolithic technology still possessed from their Anuna forefathers. 1622 BC begins the awakening of the ancient world that we are familiar with, devoid of the fantastic events recorded in earlier times. Now literacy, literacy begins stirring, cultures develop, architectural styles are not so gigantic, they are austere, they, become de they are become decorative now. 
Tribalism results in race-based urban planning, politics, and trade are highly regimented. Temples are built where priesthoods begin to realize their power over the people. The fantastic world before is remembered as tales, tradition, holy writ, but the priests adopt a syllabus for the people, versions of events that turn the altruistic Anuna benefactors into wicked Anunnaki overlords and gods to be sacrificed to, to be offered, given, given offerings in temples and treasuries, inventing verses like this to be found on cuneiform tablets. He who fears the Anunnaki lengthens his days. What this history means is that it will be possible to see dinosaurs again sooner than you think. Our own world of cities and technolog technologically advanced infrastructure can change so fast in a vapor, vapor canopy event that just months after the canopy has thickened the mesosphere, people would truly see gigantic life forms, many mutated to conform to the new oxygen and carbon dioxide density and atmospheric pressure. What's harrowing is that the mechanism that caused the last vapor canopy event in 3895 B.C. is also the mechanism that ended it in 2239 B.C., remembered as the Great Flood. Vapor canopy collapse the day the sky fell, caused by the Phoenix phenomenon, the reappearance of the Apennine. This same phoenix that we have shown in 15 videos and 35 posts is returning in May 2040. 18 years from now. Remember, under vapor canopy biospheric conditions, the human body grows faster, can hold the breath for longer periods of time. Open wounds heal in minutes, scratches and bumps in seconds. And this is not good. May 2040 is the sixth seal of the apocalypse, the sun darkening, return of the vapor canopy like Venus, of the Appen's final pass in this simulation. The revelation says after the seals are broken, the trumpet judgments will begin when men will seek to die but cannot. Many of us will be alive in 18 years. The latent palindromic gene sequences in our DNA can be switched on in seconds. Changes in the human body can rapidly occur as environmental stimuli induce them from dormancy. It already happened in antiquity and by the same phoenix phenomenon returning now. A new vapor canopy world begins with the sixth seal of the apocalypse, and this makes the rest of the Revelation prophecies take on new meanings. The seven trumpets, the seven thunders, and the seven files of God's wrath.
Within six weeks, as vapor canopy melts more glacial masses, the sea levels reach 492 feet. Numerous volcanoes produce ambient radiation, discovered in 1902, that changes living DNA, coding causing plants, insects, and animals to grow to astonishing sizes. The thickening vapor canopy, similar to Venus, heats the world, melting more Arctic sea level reaching 984 feet, promoting greater growth in plants and animals, increasing atmospheric pressure and an oxygen-dense biosphere. People run, hold their breath for longer periods of time. That there was a definitive Anunnaki timeline to of the Anunnaki Chronicle. be late my last on that one waiting for it to sink back up there you go people can run faster and longer hold their breath for long periods of time normal animals today in a single generation grow to prehistoric sizes and open wounds on people heal in minutes this happened already in the fourth millennium BCE the last time an age of heroes lasted 1,656 years till another cataclysm occurred. videos and books. We have reviewed 3,000 years from 5239 BC to the Great Flood in 2239 BC, the inception of the Anunnaki chronology to the total reset of civilizations of the world with the Great Deluge in 2239 BC. This has all been conclusively and chronologically detailed and exhibited in two of our series, the Phoenix series and the Anunophile series. But the records of the past are, are for future instruction. They signify things to come, but in types and shadows. What I present to you here is a two-perfect world history timeline with each series of events exactly 600 years apart. 600 years is 216,000 days at a 360-day-a-year day calendar. This is original research and findings that will bring you even closer to understanding that our histories are simulated constructs. 5239 B.C. is the beginning of the Anuna chronology. It is 1,344 years before the 3895 B.C. Phoenix Pole Shift, which created a new heavens and a new earth and created the vapor canopy, which marked year one of the Genesis 1656 years of pre-flood history. The original solar system is a differential binary comprised of a day star and a night star, and the Anuna are, are a holy civilization living on two or three of the worlds of the day star binary. Not our present solar system, but our sister star. Unknown if at the time they are yet aware they existed in a, in a simulated binary star system separated from the real universe, we don't know if they knew this yet. Now this begins a 7200 year timeline. This is 12 600 year periods, a chronology to the year 1962 AD, which is 5856 Annus Mundi, or 5856 since the new heavens and new earth created by Phoenix in the vapor canopy cataclysm. Now, <coughs> excuse me, uh, 1962 is when the Anunnaki Igigi are again permitted to resume abducting human females and males for genetic testing, hybridization programs, and for, the, for their preparation of the return of the Seven Kings 90 years later in the year 2052, which is the subject of another video. Now, 
600 years passes from the beginning of this timeline to the year 4639. This is 744 years before the vapor canopy apocalypse caused by Phoenix, year one of the ancient world 6,000 year calendar. The first Anunnaki great, great year of 600 years is now complete. The Anunnaki descend into civil war over what to do about the new discovery that they had actually, that they were actually imprisoned in a false universe, the simulacrum, huge rift in Anuna society. There was a war between the world and the Daystar system, and either during or after the, the end of this war, the Daystar itself burned out in the 330th year of the 600-year period. X-Flare discharges and the main Anuna world, Earth, our own planet now, reeled through space for 270 years until it began its orbit around the present sun, which was the former night star in 4039 B.C. 600 more years pass. It is now 4039 B.C. It is the second great year of the Anunnaki. Two 600 years are complete. 1200, it is the year 1200 Anunnaki chronology. This begins the Earth's orbit around the present sun and the axial rotation of the planet initiating the first day as Genesis 1 reads, and the evening and the morning were the first day. This year is encoded within the four base diagonals of the Great Pyramid's four cornerstones and was discovered by engineer David Davison to be the start of the orbital chronology of Earth. He was only one year off for he wrote it was 4040, although it is 4039. In his epic 1924 work, The Great Pyramid, he had discovered a geometrical timeline embedded within the rectilinear dimensions of the Great Pyramid that showed a 6,084-year period where Earth would begin an orbit and end an orbit in its present position, which is really quite astonishing because this, this author wrote this in 1924 and he had no access to the Phoenix research, didn't know anything about the Titius bode Law, which shows that Earth is out of, out of place, and no, knew nothing about the Mayan prophecies. I talk about in the last days the Earth will be moved out of her place at the 13th Bacton, which is, which is the next video that's, that's going to be released in the series. Now, oh, here, oh, when the Earth is moved out of its place, it will go into a tighter orbit around the sun at an extreme angle, an, an inclined angle vertical to the present ecliptic plane, which will shorten the day from 24 hours to 16 hours as described in the Apocalypse text of Revelation. So in 4039 B.C., we have Earth taking up its present position, tucked neatly right between Venus and Mars, where it does not belong, according to the Titius Bode Law, the mathematical distribution of planets in our system. Now, 600 years later, we have the Anunnaki entering into the historical record. 3439 B.C. is the year 456 Annus Mundi, or the 456 year of the pre-flood world, the 456 year of the vapor canopy. This is the third Anunnaki great year of 600 years complete. It is 1800 Anunnaki chronology. Nemesis X object, many of you call Nibiru, passes close to Earth as it descends back over the ecliptic, completing its 792-year orbit. We have a whole video on the 792-year orbit coming up in a few days. The astronomer royal for Scotland, Piazzi Smith, in the 1870s wrote that the descending passage of the Great Pyramid in the year 3440 B.C., he was one year off, pointed directly at Alpha Draconis, the Eye of the Dragon, an ancient antediluvian pole star. Zechariah Sitchin relates that the Sumerian records claim that the Anunnaki descended to Earth 432,000 years before the Flood. However, this is an exaggeration, exaggeration for 432,000 days, which is only two 600-year periods. Each 600-year period is 216,000 days. But when you add two of them together, you have 432,000 days on a 360-day draconian year calendar, or precisely 1,200 years to the Flood 
2239 BC, the next Phoenix cataclysm, which collapsed the vapor canopy. In Sumerian text, this was the arrival of Enki to Sumer, but in the Genesis uh, uh, chronology, this is the year Enoch appeared, Enki and Enoch being the same historical personage. In Babylonian text, this was the year when Oannes emerged from the sea to teach civilization to mankind. In the chronology of the book of Jasher, it says that for this time period, 456 Annas Mundi, in the days of Enosh, the Lord caused the waters of the Gihon which is the Nile River in Egypt, to overwhelm them, and he destroyed and consumed them, and he destroyed a third part of the earth. And there was no food for the sons of men, and the famine was very great in those days. This disaster is dated precisely 3439 B.C. in the meticulous chronology of Stephen Jones' Secrets of Time, who uses the, the scriptures, he uses the book of Jasher, the book of Jubilees, a lot of the apocrypha and pseudopagraphical works, and the Assyrian eponyms to, get to, to derive his dating. His book is fascinating, The Secrets of Time. Hebrew traditions hold that there was many earthquakes, drought, and famine in the days of Enosh. And in the Jewish Haggadoth text, we find that this flood in Enosh's day occurred before the famous flood of Noah. As seen, these floods were 1,200 years apart. Now, 600 years after the arrival of the Anuna, we have 2839 B.C., which is the year 1056 Annas Mundi, or or 1,056 years after the vapor canopy world began with a new heavens and new earth caused by a phoenix cataclysm in the year 3895 B.C., which we've covered in many videos. Now, this is the fourth Anunnaki great year of 600 years complete, or 864,000 days from 5239 B.C., the beginning of the Similicron. This is the year 2400 Anunnaki chronology. This begins the first year of the oppression. Menahem is born, but he is later called Noah by God, who will save mankind in the great flood. Using their Nephilim offspring, the giants, as a police force over men, the Anuna enforced their new socio-political schemes and religion upon both Canaanite and Sethite human lineages before the flood. This is the biblical dating of the birth of Noah and confirmed in chronologist Stephen Jones' published research in the Secrets of Time, 2839 12, 28, B.C. or 1056 Annas confirmed by at least 50 different authors in the past 200 years. Here is something you just can't make up. In the year 1895, the historian J.D. Parsons wrote that Noah's birth was at the meeting point of those two famous cycles of 600 years so often referred by ancient writers. Now, the import of the statement lies in the fact that Parsons did not have a chronology to back up the claim. His information was from an alternative source other than chronology that was concluded over 125 years ago from, from his library of materials. That, in itself, is fascinating. Now, 600 years later, we get to the Great Flood. It is 2239 B.C. It is the end of the pre-flood period. It is the 1656th year, Annas Mundi, or 1656 years since the beginning of the vapor canopy. Phoenix returns in this year and now collapses the vapor canopy. <coughs> Anunnaki great year of 600 years is now complete. It is 3,000 Anunnaki chronology from the beginning. The Phoenix enters the inner system and transits darkening the sun, causing terrible earthquakes. Humanity, the Anunnaki now trapped in mortal bodies and their progeny, the giants are drowned and buried in the world's surface materials, are literally turned upside down in a series of global geological upheavals. Subsidence and redistribution of soil comp surface composition throughout worldwide flooding, though not every land was flooded and not every people were, were, were erased. But every single old Bronze Age civilization was reset, some never recovering. Uh, this concluded and dated by over 20 scientists and academics who met in the year 1998 in the United States and, and actually published the report. 
Now, we cannot omit this reference from the Genesis text. It says, in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day, the floodwaters were upon the earth. So here we have another admission from the scriptural account of, of the 600-year period as well. Now, these 600-year epics are mentioned by Josephus and also refer, revered by the Sumerians as a duration specifically related to the Anunnaki. It is called a Nur. It is a Nur period. Now, these facts are detailed in my work, Return of the Fallen Ones. Robert Temple, a famous author, discovered that the later Babylonians preserved a tradition of the 600-year period, calling it the Neros, a fact he obtained from an extremely obscure old book from, the, from early in the 19th century titled The Celtic Druids, 1827, by Geoffrey Higgins, concerning Stonehenge and other British stone circles. Intriguingly, Zechariah Sitchin notes that the Sumerian cycle of 1,800 years, which is 600 times 3, was important to the Anunnaki for astronomical reasons. Now, 3439 B.C. appearance of the Nemesis X object was exactly the 1800th year of the Anunnaki chronology <coughs> of 600-year epics that began the entire simulacrum in 5239 B.C. Now, the Jewish historian Flavius Josephus wrote an extensive history titled Antiquities. Uh, yeah, Antiquities, Antiquities of the Jews. It has, it has variant titles. Now, it's over a thousand pages. It's a huge, huge work. I had to read it twice. But uh, where, in, in, in that book he wrote that pre-flood people live longer lives. He wrote that God afforded them longer life on account of their virtue and the good use they made of astronomical and geometrical discoveries, which would not have afforded the time of foretelling the periods of the stars unless they had lived 600 years, for the great year is completed in that interval. Here we see he specifically wrote 600 years. Now, Proclus was a student of Plato who determined that the length of the great year was to be found by a conjunction of planets. The planetary cycles align every 216,000 days, which is 600 years, a period the Italian astronomer Cassini referred to as the most perfect astronomical cycle known. Sumerian texts, the Anunnaki, are called by the ideogram Ner, which means the 600. The Babylonian historian priest Barosas later preserved this fact as the Neroi, and in Vedic literature of India, it was written that each avatar, which is a deity descended from heaven to visit earth, visited earth for 600 years. Another reference to the nurse found in a Babylonian calendar code concerning the, the Anunnaki, here it is translated from the Akkadian, the gods of heaven, the gods of earth, the great gods, 50 are they, the gods of fate, 7 are they, the Anunnaki of heaven, 300, the Anunnaki of earth, 600. The Nur is a mysterious unit of measurement, but all of this information lends credit to the supposition that it was long ago quite popular. Another title for the Sumerian goddess preserves this memory, being Neruda, the goddess linked with the seven Anunnaki in several texts. The Greeks recall a survivor of the flood named Deucalion, who was also called by the title Nereus. Nereus was the old man of the sea, according to Hesiod. From the start of the Anunnaki Nur chronology to the Great Flood has been 3,000 years, which is a period the ancient author Theompapas wrote was an age of the world. Now, <coughs> excuse me, the theme is consistent. Cataclysmic destructions and introduction of personalities that brought changes to civilization as heroes or religious figures, uh, that all of these occurred at 600-year intervals is not only beyond coincidence, but the 600-year Great Year timeline continues on even after the Flood. 600 years after the flood, 216,000 days, was the year 1639 B.C. 
This is 2256 Annas Mundi, 600 years after the flood. It is 3600 Anunnaki chronology, or 1,296,000 days since the beginning of the current Similicum program. Now, in biblical and Jasher chronology, Jacob is renamed Israel by God in this year, and he dies in Egypt. And authority over the inheritance, the birthright of Israel, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is given to Joseph's two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, known as the 13th tribe of Israel, who were born in Africa. They were born in Egypt. The descendants of these two grandsons of Israel were destined to become two mighty Christian last days empires, the British Empire and the Empire of Adoption, known popularly today as the United States of America. The latter, the USA, prophesied to become the greater of the two. Jacob, before he dies, explains to Joseph that Manasseh and Ephraim will be the last of the tribes of Israel to inherit their appointments and that they would take up their positions in the west, in the isles of the sea, and to unknown coasts of the earth. Of course, this was the Americas. Now, 600 years later is 1039 B.C. It is 2856 Annas Mundi. It is the seventh Anunnaki great year of 600 years complete. It is 4200 4200 Anunnaki chronology. David is born, who will grow up a shepherd and giant slayer, who kills Goliath and becomes the king of Israel, whose faith would fulfill a prophetic type later fulfilled again in the role of Christ, who is the chief cornerstone, who will come in the 6,000th year since the vapor canopy was created by the Phoenix Cataclysm in 3895 B.C. when a new heavens and new earth had been created, which was year one of the pre-flood world. Now, he will come to sit upon the throne of David as a millennial king over earth. This is called the Stone Kingdom in the future. It is, it is the government that will take over the earth after the apocalypse. David was the youngest of all his brothers, just as the multicultural Egypt-type culture of the United States is the youngest of all the Israelite-descended empires of the world. Interestingly, this year of David's birth is 1776 Anno Pyramid. It is 1776 years from the completion of the Great Pyramid in 2815 B.C., which parallels the 1776 Anno Domini, year of the Lord, year of the birth of the United States of America, whose great seal exhibits a picture of the Great Pyramid. David is born 432,000 days, 1,200 years after the flood, and typifies the authority of Christ who would descend from heaven to rule over mankind. Just as 432,000 days or 1,200 years before the great flood, Enoch not only not only uh, appeared as a savior of humanity in 3439 B.C., but also ascended into, into heaven and has not been seen since. 600 years later, we arrive to 439 B.C. It is the year 3456 Annas Mundi. Eight Anunnaki great years of 600 years is complete. It is 4800 Anunnaki chronology. Uh, the Greeks of Athens finished the famous Parthenon, designed by Phidias upon the Acropolis. The Parthenon, Parthenon is very badly misunderstood. It was designed to commemorate ancient Semitic history of an epic war involving the giants and what the Greeks would later equate with the gods, or titans. The famous and magnificently artistic release known as the War of the Giants upon the Parthenon depicts a war exactly 1,440 years priorly in 1879 B.C. called the Battle of Kuruksara, where the ancestors of Persia, Elam, conquered and allied the nations of the Near East. It was the fall of the giants, the end of the Nephilim dynasties as, as national powers and the descendants of the Anunnaki. The name Parthenon also confirms this, for in the year 439 B.C., the realm of Elam, or Persia, was known as Parthia, their language being Pars Farsi. 
Many of the descendants of Athens and Grecia were related to people who had migrated from Asia Minor, Mycenae, Caria, Ionia, Ugarit, Byblos, Phoenicia, and other domains that were once colonized by Israelite peoples who escaped to Syria when the empire fell to the Babylonians almost two centuries earlier. The Greek culture has always maintained a strong element of Semitic influence. The Parthenon commemorated this historic and almost legendary battle involving gigantic men long ago, as well as symbolized Greekdom's victory over the armies of Persia. Thus, the Parthenon is a Greek architectural statement concerning the rise of the West, which is the opposite of what occurred in 1879 BC when the East won in the Battle of Kuroksata. The relevance of 439 and the Parthenon is that the prophecies of the Abrahamic covenant are becoming true and that the Western migration to the Israelite nations is coming to pass. And 600 years later, we arrive at 162 AD. <coughs> this is the year 4056 Anasmundi. It is the ninth Anunnaki great year of 600 years complete. It is 5300 Anunnaki chronology. In 162 AD, a virtual global epidemic occurred that afflicted first China, killing millions, lasting for 11 years, and then on through the Middle East and India and the Roman Empire for 16 years. This wasting disease completely depopulated the world. Amidst the massive loss of life, the Han Dynasty of China collapsed, initiating an Asian Dark Age that lasted over four centuries until the emergence of the Tang Dynasty. Even Rome was seriously debilitated. Entire provinces depleted of their populations. At this time, the Goths and other German groups began migrating into the weakening Roman areas. This is 2,400 years after the Great Flood. Many Israelite-descended peoples moved westward because of this great wasting disease to fill up areas that, where other people had just vanished or even completely eradicated. 600 years later, we arrive at 762 A.D. It is the year 4656 Anas Mundi, 10th Anunnaki great year of 600 years complete. This is the 6,000th year of the Anunnaki chronology. The Abbasid dynasty makes its seat in this year at Baghdad in Babylon. Iraq, the new seat of the Muslim Empire. As all authority was transferred to Baghdad, this city essentially became a second Babylon. As the ancient Babylonians venerated the Anunnaki, we find it remarkable that this is the 6,000th year of the Anunnaki chronology. In this year, the Jewish exilarch Solomon died, the leader over foreign Jewish activities in Persia and throughout the Islamic world. His hereditary successor, his nephew Anand bin, bin David Hassani, was rejected by the elders who opted instead to install his younger brother, uh, Kanaya as Exilar. He was a man that was more easily controlled. Anand fled to Palestine and founded his own synagogue, calling upon Jews everywhere to abandon the corrupt Talmud and obey only the inspired word of God in the Pentateuch. The Genesis 2 Deuteronomy text. His sect grew quickly. It became a fire that raged throughout the Jewish communities and became influential, known as the Karaites, or followers of the text concerning the Bible. And Anon's view and teachings about Jesus was much, much more positive than the Pharisee Talmudic one. He urged Jews to resist the rabbinate, for he thoroughly believed that the rabbis were modern Pharisees bent on propagating the traditions of men rather than the will of heaven. The Karaite movement was a major rift in Judaic religion, and it still exists today. And in the world of astronomy in the year 762 AD may have heralded, heralded some startling sign for a Mayan conclave in the Americas of elite astronomers met and made some important decisions based on timekeeping methods which were published throughout all the Mayan cities on pillars for the public to view in the year 763. This decision to change the calendar and correct it of the Mayan calendar, this is depicted on Alter Q at Copan concerning these 16 sky watchers, sky watchers and their conclave.
counting 600 years later, we still have the Karaites in full power. The, the, the whole rift in the, in the Jewish world is absolutely complete. It, it is now the year 1362. 5256 Annus Mundi, the 11th Anunnaki great year of 600 years is complete. It is 6600 Anunnaki chronology. A Norse Goth expedition sent out by King Magnus of Norway explored North America and the Canadian and Northern United States and the USA regions. They left behind the famous Kensington runestone, detailing their misadventures of battles with the local Indians the loss of men and their explorations. Now, it was, this Kensington runestone was discovered in the year 1898. The Norse and Goths were the descendants of people that long ago assimilated people of Indo-Aryan and ancient Israelite stock. This expedition was, was cursed by its timing, for 1362 was precisely one cursed earth period of 414 years. That's 138 times 3 for those of you who are familiar with the Phoenix chronology. Before 1776, birth of the United States of America by the Anglo-Saxons, the English, the descendants of the Norse and Goths, who would one day occupy North America. It's very interesting how that came about. Came about. Now, this year of 1362 is actually 2106 post-exilic chronology. The post-exilic chronology is the timeline started when the ten tribes of Israel were deported by Assyria and became the ten lost tribes. 2106 is really interesting because 2106 A.D. in the Anno Domini calendar is the year of Armageddon and the return, return of the chief cornerstone when the peoples of God will receive their promised land and when the new government, the stone kingdom, begins to rule a millennial earth after the apocalypse. Now, counting 600 years into the future, 216,000 more days, we arrive to 1962 A.D. It is 5856 Annus Mundi. 12th Anunnaki great year of 600 years is complete, geometrically forming a pentagonal dodecahedron, which symbolizes that time has crystallized. A program of the simulacrum can now not be altered, assuming a definite form allowing for something to occur. This geometrical timeline began in 5239 B.C. at the beginning of the simulated world. This is the 7200th year of the Anunnaki chronology, which begins a 144-year countdown to the descent of the chief cornerstone to descend upon the monument of man, which is symbolized by the Great Pyramid at Armageddon in the year 2106, which is the 6,000th year since year one of the pre-flood world of Genesis, when the vapor canopy was created in the Phoenix Cataclysm, 3895 B.C. Now, concerning the 600-year calendrical nexus points, when historical and traditional records claim great persons were born, died, important events unfolded, Edward Carpenter, writing in the year 1920, seems keen to this phenomenon. He uncovered evidence in his own research as prompting him to write, Have there been in the course of human evolution certain, so to speak, nodal points or periods in which the psychologic currents ran together and condensed themselves for a new start? And has such each node or point or condensation been marked by the appearance of an actual and heroic man who supplied a necessary impetus for a new departure and gave his name to the resulting movement? Or is it sufficient to suppose the automatic formation of such nodes or starting points within without the intervention of any special hero or genius, and to imagine that in each case the myth-making tendency of mankind was the actual creator of the legendary and inspired figure who was worshipped. 
This is a profound statement made a century ago that the collective psyche of humanity responds to the linear projections of a framework of nodal apertures in the fabric of space-time inducing us to either become aware of important persons appearing at those nodal dates or that we invented them later and retrospectively assigned them to those nodal dates. No matter which is true, the case set forth by Edward Carpenter is true and demonstrable. Now, 5239 B.C., the Anuna chronology or the Simulacrum begun, began. 600 years later, in 46 639 BC, the Anuna discover they are inside a controlled environment and they make war. The day star collapses. Earth is, Earth is catapulted to, to a whole other area of the binary star system. One star collapses. <coughs> the lesser star becomes now the brighter star. In 600 years later, in 4039 B.C., the Anuna world, our own planet Earth, is removed from Nemesis orbit to its present position tucked between Venus and Mars. Genetic manipulation of human types becomes necessary because the Anuna are not genetically able to survive this new biosphere without introducing many changes. 600 years later, 3439 B.C., Enoch appears, Enki, as a great benefactor to humanity, just weeks after a cataclysm caused by Nemesis X object. 600 years later, in 2839 B.C., the hero Noah is born, remembered as Manu, Nereus, Deucalion, Bokika, Anapishtim, Atrahasis. Same, same year, the Anunnaki Seven Kings begin the oppression of the pre-flood civilization. It's called the Sumerian King List or the Pentopolis. 600 years later is the Great Flood, 2239 B.C., the human race is reset all over the world and Noah's 600th year alive. Now, 600 years later, 1639 B.C., Jacob becomes Israel, dies in this year. Grandsons are prophesied to become last day's empires in the West, and the blessings and promises and the, and the rights, privileges, and immunities that are afforded to Israel are now extended to the entire world. 600 years later, in 1039 B.C., King David is born, emblem of the Judaic Christian faith. 600 years later, 439 B.C., the Parthenon is built by descendants of Israelites to commemorate the fall of the Titans and Giants, to signal the decline of the East and the new shift of world movement and power to the West, which fulfills the Abrahamic prophecies. 600 years later, 162 A.D., a plague kills millions of people in the East and West, mass migrations of people in Europe, Mediterranean and Asia resettle further westward, bringing new life traditions and blood into the western hemisphere further fulfilling the abrahamic covenant 600 years later in 762 a.d a major split in the judaic faith that endures until the last days and an important recalibration of the calendar by the mayan conclave 600 years after that in 1362 a.d the descendants of israelites map out north america and leave behind the kensington runestone america being the promised land allocated to the last days israelite empire of adoption ephraim Born in Egypt, last days Egypt just before the righteous escape in a planetary exodus. Whether any of this is true does not affect Carpenter's observations, for on those nodal dates we have many different chronological methods ascertaining these years to all be 600 years apart, whether the stories are true or not. This phenomenon was addressed by Issachara in the Christ Conspiracy when she wrote that it was taught long ago that every 600 years a great man arises or is born. No one can accuse me of inventing the 600-year timeline. It is ancient and well-documented. Nor did I date any of these events, which were already dated by other published sources as shown in my books, When the Sun Darkens, Anunnaki Homeworld, Nostradamus and the Plants of Apocalypse, and in my book Chronicon. That some of these events never happened does not matter. That David was borrowed from a Canaanite epic about a giant slayer found in ruins of Ugarit, far antedating when the actual biblical day David could have lived does not make a difference. That Noah was born at the beginning of a 600 year period and was still alive 600 years later when the great flood occurred, whether true or not does not matter. The veracity of these accounts has little to do with what is occurring. 
The individual stories come from source materials from widely separated texts. When studied and put into their chronologies, they all fit perfectly within a 600-year framework. How? How is this possible? The dates were derived from different authors and chronological studies. The, the, the biblical narratives, Book of Jasher, Enochian texts, so Assyrian eponyms, how can real and fictive events thousands of years after they are said to have occurred be put together in a perfectly sequential timeline of 600-year intervals? As many of you know, it is my belief that our reality matrix maintains characteristics of a hologram. It is my theory that this reality construct has dimensional architecture that maintains its structure over long periods of time. Program routine. A vast invisible infrastructure built around and totally confining mankind. So strong is my belief that I have even created an event prediction system titled Ophis that it is still in... in uh, uh, it's still an experimental mode, although it's very, it's been very successful in, in our experience, experiments. But my studies on the dimensional architecture of our reality has has allowed me to create a software program that allows me to look into events and see if they are fact or fiction. Uh, but that's a, that's a subject for for other videos in the future. Right now, the 600-year period show perfectly that the ancient Vedic chronology of the world ages widely published in the literature of early India is the exact same thing as what we're looking at right now. It's the Anunnaki nerves. These ages are 216,000. Now, <coughs> excuse me, later scholars have believed, like Sitchin, have believed that this meant years, but it's not. Just like the ancient Mayan system, the Mayan Olmec system, Ol early American systems were all predicated on a mathematical basis of days turnings of the stars this two, the Vedic chronology shows 216,000 as a denominator 432,000 648,000 864,000 1,080,000 1,296,000 these are the exact same ages that we find in the early Indian texts on the ages of the world 1962 is not merely the final 600th year of the Anunnaki chronology, but is specifically targeted by a prophecy in the Book of Enoch. The Sumerian timekeeping system was based on 60-year periods called the sexagesimal system. Now, the same 60-year period is the duration Nemesis X object remains in the inner system on its 792-year orbit. It is a period of time that is very well attested in the annals of antiquity. The release of certain Anunnaki in this year of 1962 is confirmed in the writings of Enoch, who wrote that the watchers that practice hybridization with the daughters of men would be confined for 70 generations from the Great Flood. As an Anunnaki generation is 60 years, 70 times 60 is 4,200 years. The Great Flood, as shown in over 30 of our videos, many posts, three published books, was in 2239 B.C. in the month of May. The flood transpired in this year, or 1656 Annus Mundi. Now, adding 1656 years, how many years there were in the pre-flood world during the vapor canopy, vapor canopy period, to 4,200 years is the year 5856 Annus Mundi, or 1962 A.D., Anno in our calendar. The 600-year Anunnaki neurochronology throughout history has consistently visited upon us at those key nodal dates, the themes of the moon, of visitors from the deep of space, of calendar systems, and of religious programming. What exactly occurred in 5239 and 4639 B.C. is purely conjectural, but the dates from 4,000 
539 B.C. to 1962, or 6,000 years evenly, are not unknown. 1962 marks the end of the 600-year NER calendar of the Anunnaki, so we should find that many events that transpired in this year directly reflect these same themes carried on through the epics of human history. 1962 was the final year the astonishing underground cities of Turkey remained unknown from the public. In 1963, the entrance to a vast subterranean metropolis called Derinkuyu was accidentally discovered, covering an estimated 2.5 square miles. It has between 18 to 20 underground levels, though only eight of them are open to the public today. Advanced drainage ventilation shafts have evidence of drilling thousands of chambers to support a population between 100 and 2,000 people underground. Amazingly, underground tunnel systems connect Derinkuyu to other subterranean cities, and so far, 36 of these underground cities have been found in Anatolia and Anatolia in Turkey today. It is absolutely fascinating. Since 2004, more have been found. I haven't really been staying up on the archaeology. Now, Derinkuyu is pre-Hittite, probably antediluvian or even pre-Adamite. Could be before 4039. But these underground cities in Turkey show great planning was required, and Andrew Collins' theory is most plausible. These cities were designed by a population seeking protection from a coming force of nature to avoid dying out in some foreseen cataclysmic episode. That they were discovered only after 1962 is not a coincidence. In 1962, the Arizona Cavalcade was published, written by Joseph Miller, which cites in 1909 the Phoenix Gazette news article about the amazing discovery of a mysterious underground city complex in the Grand Canyon. Now, underground facilities were built extensively at Giza in Egypt below, uh, below the Great Pyramid but are closed off from the public today since their initial uh, exploration in the year 1926. Such underground projects are not only on Earth. In 1962, meticulous observations of an anomalous bulge at the Martian equator by nine respected astronomers resulted with astrophysicist Dr. E.J. Opick concluding that such a bulge must be hollow, an artificial construction like a shelter. This intense scrutiny in 1962 of Mars was also in, uh, enjoyed in the research of our own satellite, the Moon. Vladimir Tuzinski, a Bulgarian-born engineer and physicist, claims uh, there to be a joint U.S.-Russian base on Mars since 1962. But Dr. Richard Boylan holds that we have had military bases on the Moon and Mars since the year 1962. In 1962, scientific examination of the Moon found that its interior was less dense than its exterior. NASA scientist Gordon McDonald concluded that it would seem that the Moon is more like a hollow than a homogeneous sphere. Now, Jim Mars quotes MIT's Sean Solomon concerning new findings by the lunar orbiter, which indicates the frightening possibility that the moon just might be hollow. The hollow moon position was supported by Russian scientists Vasin and Shabakov, who claimed that the moon is not, is not an artificial satellite, but a hollowed-out planetoid fashioned by some unknown forgotten ancient civilization. And that is a hell of a statement for very, for very respected scientists. In 1962, radio telescopes began detecting strong X-rays coming from the Cygnus region of space, particularly the Cygnus Rift, a great black tear in space. 
Scientists first detected solar wind in 1962, and on July 8th, scientists detonated a megaton atomic weapon 248 miles above the Earth. It is known that the U.S. military in Operation Fishbowl conducted experiments proving that we on Earth live beneath a closed and inescapable environment. Of further significance in our analysis of 1962 is the ultra-secret Cheyenne Mountain Complex, which is completed near Colorado Springs, a massive underground facility with tunnel systems leading to other underground facilities in underworld cities. Here, underneath the United States, the most intelligent people on the planet manufacture technologies unknown to the private sector. They have their own air force, they have their own, own uh, private militaries. This is also the NORAD Command Center, the Air, the Air Force Space Command, the Space Defense Operations Center, and the Air Defense Command. This complex provides a day-to-day -day picture of precisely what is in space and where it is located at any given moment of time. Many researchers are convinced that the Cheyenne Mountain Underworld contains a whole joint human extraterrestrial joint operations center. This is very interesting. This is very intriguing because one of the themes you know, on this on this whole Anunnaki nerve system is that the Anunnaki were living in a hollow underground. They had lived underground for a long period of time because the biosphere was not livable when Earth was was moving through space from one star to to the next. Now, in 1962 was the first year of operations for the Wright-Patterson Air Force Base's Foreign Technology Division. For those of you who don't know, since 1947, as the T-2 Intelligence of Air Material Command, it was at Wright-Patterson Field that U.S. scientists attempted to reverse engineer the debris that, that they discovered at the Roswell UFO crash. Now, the Naval Ordnance Lab manufactured nitinol from the memory metal in 1962, a titanium-nickel alloy. Titanium was not a human discovery. It was delivered to us. It was a gift from something else. But it was developed from the 1947 Roswell debris. Researchers know that prior to 1947, there exists absolutely no government references to titanium. Now, with 1962 being the end of the 7,200 years of the Anunnaki chronology, they are now enabled to resume their hybridization program between humans and themselves, creating more Nephilim, as they did before the flood. The condition being that humans voluntary, voluntarily agreed to engage in such practices. As before, the deluged peoples were tra traded their daughters for advanced knowledges and secrets. This is very well attested in the Book of Enoch and the Haggadoth and many other writings. Now, a secret U.S. government treaty between an extraterrestrial race, which is the disguise of the Anunnaki, to do this was conducted in 1962. Abdu abduction of human female, scientific experiment experimentation including fetal extractions, implant devices for tracking and inducing memory loss of trauma. As UFO researchers can well attest, it was 1962 when the first human abductions by UFOs occurred. These causing researchers to create a whole new class called Close Encounters of the Fourth Kind. Up until 1962, there was only Close Encounters of the First, Second, and Third Kind. The most famous UFO abduction of the early season. In 1962, Dr. James Watson and Francis Crick were awarded the Nobel Prize for Physiology and Medicine for their discovery of the double helix DNA construction. Crick holds that DNA is too complex and too perfect and that it is not the result of evolution, that its origin lies elsewhere, that DNA is alien. What's really interesting is this was 1962 and it's relative to Anunnaki, Anunnaki history because in, 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 in Anunnaki history, it was DNA manipulation hybridization programs that got the Anunnaki to live in this biosphere by, by genetically manipulating 
ordinary human DNA so they could stay here, mixing it with their own. Now, also in 1962, local natives of Ecuador for years have been finding metal plates with symbols, imagery, elaborate pictures, and inscriptions, many now in the Museum del Blanco Central. Though these artifacts were found in the Americas, they depict elephants and sphinxes, and some are dated at least 3,000 years old. One intriguing plate is a perfect representation of the Great Pyramid, with individual blocks, a layer of casing stones, a cornerstone atop it with a sun symbol serving as an eye. Most amazing is that the lower level of the pyramid, it is covered with inscriptions. The fact about the ancient Great Pyramid's lower courses covered in writings is the subject matter of my own book, Lost Scriptures of Giza, which was published in 2006 by, by Book Tree Press. Because of a fire in 1962, these relics, an estimated 6,000 pieces, were scattered and some of them were lost. Others placed in the museum, while many more were lost to private collections. The greatest artifact, the gold plate showing the Great Pyramid, has a smiling face on the top stone. The artistic, archaic recognition that this apex stone was indeed the symbol of deity, the chief cornerstone the builders, the Anunnaki, rejected. In 1962, another pyramid timeline found in the olden ruins of the city of Teotihuacan in Mexico, revealing a perfect 7,200-year pyramid calendar, as discovered not by myself, but, but discovered by Hugh Halston, Jr. The timeline began with the Pyramid of the Sun, which stands 203 feet tall, which is interesting because the Great Pyramid is 203 levels of stone in Egypt. And the 7,200 hunabs, or years, ends at a ruinous pile of masonry that Charleston says was a pyramidal temple that represented Planet X, or Nibiru, according to other writers. This is beyond coincidence. This was 1962. Many believe that 1962 began a spiritual darkening over America, a curse on the nation. All those material blessings that made America supreme in the past began to wane, starting in 1962. Crude oil production, coal mining, steel manufacturing, pig iron production, nickel mining, aluminum and zinc, rubber, copper, lead, zinc, bauxite, chromite, gold, electricity production. Merchant fleet tonnage totally diminished as did automobile production, as other nations began outproducing the United States. By 1966, just four years later, the, the statistics were alarming, showing a rapid decline in all these natural resources productions. In 1962, the U.S. Supreme Court, on a, on a decision six to one, ruled it absolutely unconstitutional that our children could even pray in public schools. And the moral fabric of the civilized nations of the world at this time began to unravel. First the United States, followed by everyone else. Civil disobedience increased. Ethical considerations for others became politicized. The ancient lines between right and wrong were flipped as those calling themselves progressives were actually taking the traditional values backward, demonizing good and justifying evil. A spiritual decay began in 1962, and it has grown. Its tendrils now deeply entrenched in church and state as the media makes war against the institution of the family. The family unit is attempt to subjugate all individuals to fates dictated by the collective. In 1962, the Southern Baptists went on the extreme, on the opposite extreme, overwhelmingly passing a resolution concerning absolute faith in the biblical records as the infallible word of God. Few biblical scholars are Southern Baptists. Now, that much of the biblical material is of proven Babylonian, Elamite, Amorite, Egyptian, Ionian, and Gnostic origin is totally ignored. Even the Vatican was feeling this in 1962. Rome held a council of 3,000 men under Pope John the 23rd 
to consider ways that it can relate to the 20th century world. The youth were ignoring the, Ro the Roman church. By 1962, the Vatican was losing the battle against Protestantism concerning the making available of the Holy Writ to the public, which Rome refused to do for centuries. The Roman clergy don't believe that the common man should have a be in possession of a Bible. Now, in 1962, the Christian Gideons Association celebrated its 50 millionth freely distributed King James Bible in hotels and other places. That is a hell of a milestone. Also, now, in 1962, the American Standard Bible was published, a much more accurate rending of the text believed to be the Word of God. Also, also in 1962, the New American Standard Version is published. Two major international versions of the Bible that are still very popular today, although both of them deviate widely from the original King James Version of the text. These are only merely some of the events of 1962, and the unfolding historical events from 1963 with the, with the assassination of President Kennedy and several assassinations that followed the Civil Rights Movement and everything that followed in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and now the thousands to the year 2021 only empowers this thesis. Thank <laughs> you.